0: SECTION 44 OF REPORT OF THE PRESIDENT'S COMMISSION ON THE ASSASSINATION OF PRESIDENT KENNEDY THE WARREN COMMISSION REPORT This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. REPORT OF THE PRESIDENT'S COMMISSION ON THE ASSASSINATION OF PRESIDENT KENNEDY THE WARREN COMMISSION REPORT BY THE PRESIDENT'S COMMISSION ON THE ASSASSINATION OF PRESIDENT KENNEDY Chapter 7 Lee Harvey Oswald, Background and Possible Motives, Part 6 Possible Influence of Anti Kennedy Sentiment in Dallas. It has been suggested that one of the motivating influences operating on Lee Oswald was the atmosphere in the city of Dallas, especially an atmosphere of extreme opposition to President Kennedy that was present in some parts of the Dallas community and which received publicity there prior to the assassination some of that feeling was expressed in the incident involving then vice-presidential candidate johnson during the nineteen sixty campaign in the treatment of ambassador adlai stevenson late in october of nineteen sixty three and in the extreme anti kennedy newspaper advertisement and handbills that appeared in dallas at the time of the president's visit there the commission has found no evidence that the extreme views expressed toward president kennedy by some right-wing groups centered in dallas or any other general atmosphere of hate or right-wing extremism which may have existed in the city of dallas had any connection with oswald's actions on november twenty two nineteen sixty three there is of course no way to judge what the effect of the general political ferment present in that city might have been even though oswald was aware of it his awareness is shown by a letter that he wrote to arnold johnson of the communist party usa which johnson said he did not receive until after the assassination the letter said in part quote, on october twenty third i had attended a ultra-right meeting headed by general edwin a walker who lives in dallas this meeting preceded by one day the attack on A. E. Stevenson at the United Nations Day meeting at which he spoke. As you can see, political friction between left and right is very great here. Could you advise me as to the general view we have on the American Civil Liberties Union? Quote. In any event, the Commission has been unable to find any credible evidence that Oswald had direct contact or association with any of the personalities or groups epitomizing or representing the so-called right wing even though he did as he told johnson attend a meeting at which general walker spoke to approximately thirteen hundred persons oswald's writings and his reading habits indicate that he had an extreme dislike of the right wing an attitude most clearly reflected by his attempt to shoot general walker RELATIONSHIP WITH WIFE. The relations between Lee and Marina Oswald are of great importance in any attempt to understand Oswald's possible motivation. During the period from Oswald's return from Mexico to the assassination, he and his wife spent every weekend but one together at the Irving, Texas home of Mrs. Ruth Payne, who was then separated from her husband. The sole exception was the weekend of November 16th to 17th, 1963, the weekend before the assassination, when his wife asked Oswald not to come to Irving. During the week, Oswald lived in a rooming house in Dallas, but he usually called his wife on the telephone twice a day. She testified that after his return from Mexico, Oswald, quote, changed for the better, he began to treat me better. He helped me more, although he always did help, but he was more attentive. Marina Oswald attributed that to their living apart and to the imminent birth of their second child. She testified that Oswald quote, was very happy end quote, about the birth of the child. While those considerations no doubt had an effect on Oswald's attitude toward his family, it would seem that the need for support and sympathy after his recent rebuffs in mexico city might also have been important to him it would not have been the first time that oswald sought closer ties with his family in time of adversity his past relationships with his wife had been stormy however and it did not seem that she respected him very much they had been married after a courtship of only about six weeks a part of which oswald spent in the hospital oswald's diary reports that he married his wife shortly after his proposal of marriage to another girl had been rejected he stated that the other girl rejected him partly because he was an american a fact that he said she had exploited he stated that quote in spite of fact i married marina to hurt ella the girl that had rejected him I found myself in love with Marina. End quote. Many of the people with whom the Oswalds became acquainted after their arrival in the United States thought that Marina Oswald had married her husband primarily in the hope that she would be able to leave the Soviet Union. Marina Oswald has denied this. Marina Oswald expressed one aspect of her husband's attitude toward her when she testified that quote, Lee wanted me to go to Russia and I told him that, if he wanted me to go, then that meant that he didn't love me, and that, in that case, what was the idea of coming to the United States in the first place? Lee would say that it would be better for me if I went to Russia. I did not know why. I did not know what he had in mind. He said he loved me, but that it would be better for me if I went to Russia, and what he had in mind I don't know." On the other hand, oswald objected to the invitation that his wife had received to live with mrs ruth payne which mrs payne had made in part to give her an alternative to returning to the soviet union marina oswald wrote to mrs payne that quote, many times oswald has recalled this matter to me and said that i am just waiting for an opportunity to hurt him it has been the cause of many of our arguments end quote oswald claimed that his wife preferred others to him he said this about members of the russian-speaking group in the dallas fort worth area whom she said he tried to forbid her from seeing and also about mrs payne he specifically made that claim when his wife refused to come to live with him in dallas as he asked her to do on the evening of november twenty one nineteen sixty three THE INSTABILITY OF THEIR RELATIONS WAS PROBABLY A FUNCTION OF THE PERSONALITIES OF BOTH PEOPLE. OSWALD WAS OVERBEARING IN RELATIONS WITH HIS WIFE. HE APPARENTLY ATTEMPTED TO BE THE COMMANDER BY DICTATING MANY OF THE DETAILS OF THEIR MARRIED LIFE. WHILE MARINA OSWALD SAID THAT HER HUSBAND WANTED HER TO LEARN ENGLISH, HE MADE NO ATTEMPT TO HELP HER, AND THERE ARE OTHER INDICATIONS THAT HE DID NOT WANT HER TO LEARN THAT LANGUAGE oswald apparently wished to continue practicing his own russian with her lieutenant martello of the new orleans police testified that oswald stated that he did not speak english in his family because he did not want them to become americanized marina oswald's inability to speak english also made it more difficult for her to have an independent existence in this country oswald struck his wife on occasion did not want her to drink smoke or wear cosmetics and generally treated her with lack of respect in the presence of others the difficulties which oswald's problems would have caused him in any relationship were probably not reduced by his wife's conduct catherine ford with whom marina oswald stayed during her separation from her husband in november of 1962 thought that marina oswald was immature in her thinking and partly responsible for the difficulties that the oswalds were having at that time mrs ford said that marina oswald admitted that she provoked oswald on occasion there can be little doubt that some provocation existed oswald once struck his wife because of a letter which she wrote to a former boyfriend in russia in the letter marina oswald stated that her husband had changed a great deal and that she was very lonely in the united states she was quote sorry that i had not married him the russian boyfriend instead that it would have been much easier for me End quote. the letter fell into oswald's hands when it was returned to his post office box because of insufficient postage which apparently resulted from an increase in postal rates of which his wife had been unaware oswald read the letter but refused to believe that it was sincere even though his wife insisted to him that it was as a result oswald struck her as to which she testified quote, generally i think that was right for such things that is the right thing to do there was some grounds for it End quote. although she denied it in some of her testimony before the commission it appears that marina oswald also complained that her husband was not able to provide more material things for her. On that issue, George de Morenschilt, who was probably as close to the Oswalds as anyone else during their first stay in Dallas, said that, quote, she was annoying him all the time. Why don't you make some money? Poor guy was going out of his mind. We told her she should not annoy him. Poor guy, he's doing his best. Don't annoy him so much, end quote. The DeMar and Schultz also testified that, quote, right in front, end quote, of Oswald, Marina Oswald complained about Oswald's inadequacy as a husband. Mrs. Oswald told another of her friends that Oswald was very cold to her, that they very seldom had sexual relations, and that Oswald, quote, was not a man, end quote. She also told Mrs. Payne that she was not satisfied with her sexual relations with Oswald. Marina Oswald also ridiculed her husband's political views, thereby tearing down his view of his own importance. He was very much interested in autobiographical works of outstanding statesmen of the United States, to whom his wife thought he compared himself. She said he was different from other people in, quote, at least his imagination, his fantasy, which was quite unfounded, as to the fact that he was an outstanding man, end quote. She said that she, quote, always tried to point out to him that he was a man like any others who were around us, but he simply could not understand that, end quote. Jean de Marinschilt, however, thought that Marina Oswald, quote, said things that will hurt men's pride, end quote. She said that if she ever spoke to her husband, the way Marina Oswald spoke to her husband, quote, we would not last long, end quote. Mrs. de Morenschult thought that Oswald, whom she compared to, quote, a puppy dog that everybody kicked, end quote, had a lot of good qualities in spite of the fact that, quote, nobody said anything good about him, end quote. She had, quote, the impression that he was just pushed, 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 and she, Marina Oswald, was probably nagging, 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 end quote. She thought that he might not have become involved in the assassination if people had been kinder to him. In spite of these difficulties, however, and in the face of the economic problems that were always with them, things apparently went quite smoothly from the time Oswald returned from Mexico until the weekend of November sixteen to seventeen, nineteen sixty-three. Mrs. Payne was planning a birthday party for one of her children on that weekend, and her husband Michael was to be at the house. Marina Oswald said that she knew her husband did not like Michael Payne and so she asked him not to come out that weekend, even though he wanted to do so. She testified that she told him, quote, that he shouldn't come every week, that perhaps it's not convenient for Ruth that the whole family be there, live there, end quote. She testified that he responded, quote, as you wish. If you don't want me to come, I won't, end quote. Ruth Payne testified that she heard Marina Oswald tell Oswald about the birthday party. On Sunday, November 17, 1963, Ruth Payne and Marina Oswald decided to call Oswald at the place where he was living, unbeknownst to them, under the name of O. H. Lee. They asked for Lee Oswald, who was not called to the telephone because he was known by the other name. When Oswald called the next day, his wife became very angry about his use of the alias he said that he used it because quote, he did not want his landlady to know his real name because she might read in the paper of the fact that he had been in russia and that he had been questioned end quote. oswald also said that he did not want the fbi to know where he lived quote, because their visits were not very pleasant for him and he thought that he loses jobs because the F.B.I. visits the place of his employment." While the facts of his defection had become known in New Orleans as a result of his radio debate with Bringuier, it would appear to be unlikely that his landlady in Dallas would see anything in the newspaper about his defection unless he engaged in activities similar to those which had led to the disclosure of his defection in New Orleans furthermore even though it appears that at times oswald was really upset by visits of the fbi it does not appear that he ever lost his job because of its activities although he may well not have been aware of that fact while oswald's concern about the fbi had some basis in fact in that fbi agents had interviewed him in the past and had renewed their interest to some extent after his fair play for cuba committee activities had become known he exaggerated their concern for him marina oswald thought he did so in order to emphasize his importance for example in his letter of november 9, 1963, to the soviet embassy in washington he asked about the entrance visas for which he and his wife had previously applied he absolved the Soviet embassy in Mexico City of any blame for his difficulties there. He advised the Washington embassy that the FBI was, quote, not now, end quote, interested in his Fair Play for Cuba committee activities, but noted that the FBI quote, has visited us here in Dallas, Texas on November 1. Agent James P. Hasty warned me that if I engaged in FPCC activities in Texas, "'the FBI will again take an interest in me.'" Neither Hostie nor any other agent of the FBI spoke to Oswald on any subject from August 10, 1963, to the time of the assassination. The claimed warning was one more of Oswald's fabrications. Hostie had come to the Payne residence on November 1 and 5, 1963, but did not issue any such warning or suggest that marina oswald defect from the soviet union and remain in the united states under fbi protection as oswald went on to say in oswald's imagination quote, i and my wife strongly protested these tactics by the notorious fbi end quote. in fact his wife testified that she only said that she would prefer not to receive any more visits from the bureau because of the quote very exciting and disturbing effect quote, they had upon her husband who was not even present at that time the arguments he used to justify his use of the alias suggest that oswald may have come to think that the whole world was becoming involved in an increasingly complex conspiracy against him he may have felt he could never tell when the fbi was going to appear on the scene or who else was going to find out about his defection and use it against him as had been done in new orleans on the other hand the concern he expressed about the fbi may have been just another story to support the objective he sought in his letter those arguments however were not persuasive to marina oswald to whom quote it was nothing terrible if people were to find out that he had been in russia end quote she asked oswald quote after all when will all your foolishness come to an end? All of these comedies, first one thing and then another, and now this fictitious name? End quote. She said, quote, On Monday, November 18, 1963, he called several times, but after I hung up on him and didn't want to talk to him, he did not call again. He then arrived on Thursday, November 21, 1963. The events of that evening can best be appreciated through Marina Oswald's testimony. Quote, "Question. Did your husband give any reason for coming home on Thursday? Answer. He said that he was lonely because he hadn't come the preceding weekend, and he wanted to make his peace with me." Question. Did you say anything to him then? Answer. He tried to talk to me, but I would not answer him, and he was very upset. Question. Were you upset with him? Answer. I was angry, of course. He was not angry, he was upset. I was angry. He tried very hard to please me. He spent quite a bit of time putting away diapers and played with the children on the street. Question. How did you indicate to him that you were angry with him? Answer. By not talking to him. Question. And how did he show that he was upset? answer he was upset over the fact that i would not answer him he tried to start a conversation with me several times but i would not answer and he said that he didn't want me to be angry at him because this upsets him on that day he suggested that we rent an apartment in dallas he said that he was tired of living alone and perhaps the reason for my being so angry was the fact that we were not living together that if i want to he would rent an apartment in dallas tomorrow that he didn't want me to remain with Ruth any longer, but wanted me to live with him in Dallas. He repeated this not once, but several times, but I refused. And he said that once again I was preferring my friends to him, and that I didn't need him. Question. What did you say to that? Answer. I said it would be better if I remained with Ruth until the holidays. He would come and we would all meet together that this was better because while he was living alone and i stayed with ruth we were spending less money and i told him to buy me a washing machine because two children it became too difficult to wash by hand question what did he say to that answer he said he would buy me a washing machine question what did you say to that answer thank you that it would be better if he bought something for himself that i would manage End quote. That night, Oswald went to bed before his wife retired. She did not speak to him when she joined him there, although she thought that he was still awake. The next morning, he left for work before anyone else arose. For the first time, he left his wedding ring in a cup on the dresser in his room. He also left $170 in a wallet in one of the dresser drawers. He took with him $13.87 and the long brown package that Fraser and Mrs. Randall saw him carry and which he was to take to the school book depository the unanswered questions no one will ever know what passed through Oswald's mind during the week before November 22 1963 instead of returning to Irving on November 15 for his customary weekend visit he remained in Dallas at his wife's suggestion because of the birthday party he had argued with her over the use of an alias and had not called her after that argument although he usually telephoned once or twice a day then on thursday morning november twenty one he asked Fraser for a ride to irving that night stating falsely that he wanted to pick up some curtain rods to put in an apartment he must have planned his attack at the very latest prior to thursday morning when he spoke to Fraser. There is, of course, no way to determine the degree to which he was committed to his plan at that time. While there is no way to tell when he first began to think specifically of assassinating the President, it should be noted that mention of the trademark as the expected site of the Presidential Luncheon appeared in the Dallas Times-Herald on November 15, 1963. The next day, that paper announced the final approval of the trademark as the luncheon site, and stated that the motorcade, quote, apparently will loop through the downtown area, probably on Main Street, en route from Dallas Love Field, end quote, on its way to the trademark on Stemmons Freeway. Anyone who is familiar with that area of Dallas would have known that the motorcade would probably pass the Texas School Book Depository to get from Main Street onto the Stemmons Freeway. That fact was made precisely clear in subsequent news stories on November 19, 20, and 22. On November 15, 1963, the same day that his wife told him not to come to Irving, Oswald could have assumed that the presidential motorcade would pass in front of his place of work. Whether he thought about assassinating the president over the weekend can never be known, but it is reasonably certain. That over the weekend he did think about his wife's request that he not come to Irving, which was prompted by the birthday party being held at the Payne home. Oswald had a highly exaggerated sense of his own importance, but he had failed at almost everything he had ever tried to do. He had great difficulty in establishing meaningful relations with other people. Except for his family, he was completely alone. Even though he had searched, in the Marine Corps, in his ideal of communism, in the Soviet Union, and in his attempt to get to Cuba, he had never found anything to which he felt he could really belong. After he returned from his trip to Mexico, where his application to go to Cuba had been sharply rejected, it must have appeared to him that he was unable to command even the attention of his family he could not keep them with him in dallas where at least he could see his children whom several witnesses testified he seemed to love his family lived with mrs payne ostensibly because oswald could not afford to keep an apartment in dallas but it was also at least in part because his wife did not want to live there with him now it appeared that he was not welcome at the payne home where he had spent every previous weekend since his return from Mexico, and his wife was once again calling into question his judgment, this time concerning his use of an alias. The conversation on Monday, November 18, 1963, ended when Marina Oswald hung up and refused to talk to him, although he may long before have decided on the course he was to follow and may have told his wife the things he did on the evening of november twenty one nineteen sixty three merely to disarm her and to provide a justification of sorts both she and mrs payne thought he had come home to make up after the fight on monday thoughts of his personal difficulties must have been at least partly on his mind when he went to irving on thursday night and told his wife that he was lonely that he wanted to make peace with her and bring his family to dallas where they could live with him again the commission does not believe that the relations between oswald and his wife caused him to assassinate the president it is unlikely that the motivation was that simple the feelings of hostility and aggression which seem to have played such an important part in oswald's life were part of his character long before he met his wife and such a favorable opportunity to strike at a figure as great as the president would probably never have come to him again. Oswald's behavior after the assassination throws little light on his motives. The fact that he took so little money with him when he left Irving in the morning indicates that he did not expect to get very far from Dallas on his own and suggests the possibility as did his note to his wife just prior to the attempt on General Walker, that he did not expect to escape at all. On the other hand, he could have traveled some distance with the money he did have, and he did return to his room where he obtained his revolver. He then killed Patrolman Tippett, when that police officer apparently tried to question him after he had left his rooming house, and he vigorously resisted arrest when he was finally apprehended in the Texas Theater. Although it is not fully corroborated by others who were present, two officers have testified that at the time of his arrest, Oswald said something to the effect that, quote, it's all over now, end quote. Oswald was overbearing and arrogant throughout much of the time between his arrest and his own death. He consistently refused to admit involvement in the assassination or in the killing of patrolman Tippett. While he did become enraged at at least one point in his interrogation, the testimony of the officers present indicates that he handled himself with considerable composure during his questioning. He admitted nothing that would damage him, but discussed other matters quite freely. His denials under questioning, which have no probative value in view of the many readily demonstrable lies he told at that time, and in the face of the overwhelming evidence against him which has been set forth above, only served to prolong the period during which he was the center of the attention of the entire world. CONCLUSION Many factors were undoubtedly involved in Oswald's motivation for the assassination, and the Commission does not believe that it can ascribe to him any one motive or group of motives it is apparent however that oswald was moved by an overriding hostility to his environment he does not appear to have been able to establish meaningful relationships with other people he was perpetually discontented with the world around him long before the assassination he expressed his hatred for american society and acted in protest against it oswald's search for what he conceived to be the perfect society was doomed from the start he sought for himself a place in history a role as the great man who would be recognized as having been in advance of his times his commitment to marxism and communism appears to have been another important factor in his motivation he also had demonstrated a capacity to act decisively and without regard to the consequences when such action would further his aims of the moment out of these and the many other factors which may have molded the character of Lee Harvey Oswald, there emerged a man capable of assassinating President Kennedy. End of section 44. Recording by Linda Johnson.